Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat teaching by Rabbi Rebecca Schatz. We just read, Joel really just read uh, Parshat Metzorah for us. This past week was Parshat Tazria, and both Parshiot, very often they're put together, but both Parshiot talk about bodily emissions and blood and gore and gross things, or we call them gross. I actually don't know if they were considered gross back in the day, but just things that our bodies do that could make us into these categories of Tameh or Tahor. And what we discussed a few moments ago was this idea that that English has turned Tameh and Tahor into a negative and a positive. Tameh being negative and Tahor being positive. Tameh being unclean or impure or unfit. And then Tahor being pure and ready and clean. And, and truthfully, those two words in English have connotations that the two words in Hebrew really don't have. Um, so we're going to discuss these two different categories and what Tameh and Tahor could truly mean. Just as a reminder, we have these states of Tameh and Tahor still in 2022. These are not things that have gone away um, with the with the temple. It's just that they mean less. And what do I mean by that? When you are Tameh in today's world, if you are someone who practices the laws of Nida, that might mean that you are not coming close sexually to your husband. But for the most part, Tameh is just our general state of being in the world. Um, most people, present company included, are just Tameh because we do things in the world and then don't go to the mikvah after them, right? We sit on Tahara teams or um, we don't practice the laws of Nida or uh, we creepy crawly things crawl on us and uh, certain creepy crawly things can make us Tameh because they are Tameh and we don't go to the mikvah. So if one of those things has happened to you in your life and you haven't gone to the mikvah, then you are in a perpetual state of tumah, of, of, of being tameh. Again, if we translate that to English, that sounds really bad, right? Everyone is thinking to themselves, well, wait a second, maybe I should have gone to the mikvah then because I need to be tahor. Well, no, you're not unclean. You're just in a state of having lived life. And Tahor is, back in the day when we had the temple, Tahor meant you had taken care of going to the mikvah so that you could go to the temple. We don't have the temple today. So there's really nothing in our lives for which you need to be Tahor, except for, again, the laws of Nida. So if you practice those, this what I'm about to say is, is a little bit of a caveat. But when you come to shul, we don't ask you for your vaccination card and whether or not you're tahor, right? You you come to shul. It doesn't matter to us whether you are in a state of tameh or tahor. And the understanding is probably that you are in a state of tameh. Now, again, we don't care, right? That's not something that we are checking off in a box to make sure that that um, that you are tahor when you are doing certain certain acts in life. People might choose to find themselves in a state of tahor and go to the mikvah. Some examples, right before you take on some big life cycle. So brides often will go to the mikvah, grooms also, but people getting married might go to the mikvah before they get married. A friend of mine is becoming a rabbi in May, and he just told me that he's going to the mikvah right before he's ordained. There are moments in life where you might choose to go to the mikvah and deem yourself tahor, 
But again, you know, later, later that day or the next day, you're probably going to enter into a state of tuma just by living life. So the tahor state is really one that is a spiritual uplift in today's day, not necessarily a, a way in which you need to be checked to do something ritually. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. So we're going to look at these verses here, um, and I took pieces from different parts of Tazria and Mitzorah uh, just to to get my point across. We're not going to read so deeply into the text itself, but I just want you to see how the words Tameh and Tahor are used. So if you're on the source sheet, we're on the side that has all the Torah verses, and then we'll turn over to the commentaries in a moment. So this is Leviticus 12, chapter 12, verse 1. And God spoke to Moses saying, So, you're going to, right, God spoke to Moses and said, you're going to tell B'nai Israel, speak to the Israelite people, when a, when a woman in childbirth gives birth to a male, right, gives birth to a baby boy, she will be Tameh. She will become Tameh. I'm purposefully not saying what the translation says, which is unclean, because it's just not what it means. She will be Tameh for seven days. And she will continue to be Tameh in this time of her, it's, it's calling it menstrual infirmity. Again, not particularly nice, um, but basically while she's still bleeding. <clears throat> so while she's in Nida, which we're not going to talk about Nida right now, but if you're interested in Nida, I'm also very interested in Nida. Happy to talk about it anytime, except for right now. You're going to give him a circumcision on the eighth day. We all know that. Ushoshim yom ushloshet yamim. It's very hard to read this in this light. Sorry. Teshev bit tahara bechol kodesh lo hamikdash lo tavo ad mloat yamei tahara. So uh, you're gonna, she's gonna remain in this state of um, what's called. Um, it says here, blood purification. I'm trying to say this nicer. Um, tahara, like in this, in this time where she is bleeding of, in Tahara, uh, for 30 days she shall not touch any consecrated thing, right? She, sh- she can't come close to anything that is Kadosh nor enter the sanctuary. Again, we don't do this today, obviously, until her period of purification. They're not using the word period here like menstrual period, though obviously they're connected, um, of Tahara is completed. If she bears a female, she will be Tameh for two weeks as during her menstruation and she will remain in a state of blood, uh, okay. We're not going to go into whether or not it's fair that for a boy it's one thing and for a girl it's another thing, but you can see here how Tameh and Tahor are used, right? Tameh is when she just gave birth and therefore she is still, I've never given birth, but from what I understand, she is still bleeding. And then there is this state of Tahor where she can find herself outside of that state, whether it is for the time after a boy or for the time after a girl. So what do Tameh and Tahor mean here? What are they trying to claim in this space here of this uh, of this narrative? Yeah, what does Tameh mean in this particular narrative? So when we're talking about a woman being Tameh after giving birth, what what is that state for her, for the baby, for the the people around her? What does that mean for her? Great. So Fran just said it limits her behavior, right, and what she's able to do, probably 
with her husband, right? Everything spoken about here in the Torah is heterosexual, so I'm just going to go with that for a moment. Right? Great. Great. So what she can touch, who she can touch, where she can go, because the, this idea of Tuma'ah, which we see in uh, last week's Parsha, actually, in terms of Sara'at, can spread. Right? Anything that is touched becomes Tameh as well. So anything that she touches after having given birth is now Tameh. Again, if in your mind, because we've been programmed to think of Tameh as unclean, you're thinking, oh, if she touches the table, it's now unclean. But that's not that's not what it means. It just means that it's now become in a state of of tum'ah, of of being tameh. What else does it say about her? Great. It has a particular time frame, right? Which, again, though we won't get into it, seems to be different for having a boy versus having a girl. There's a beginning and an end. Great. Yeah. Great. Great. So it seems to be saying that she is being removed from certain people to not interact with, right? And what Rabbi Len just said is, you know, it's similar to, similar though different than COVID in terms of saying like, you go over here and we're going to all be over here, but that there is a certain understood distance or isolation even for a woman who is Tame right after giving birth. Joe, I'm happy to call on you. I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to hear you. So try it and let's see. It works. Oh, great. Perfect. I was going to say it also, this is kind of in another vein, but it's, but also she's in a certain state of vulnerability and danger just because back, certainly back in those times, childbirth presented a very serious, you know, risk. There's a certain inherent danger because you don't have a medical facility. You don't have any of, you know, the, the hygiene or sanitary facilities that are, are involved in childbirth today. Great. So that actually points, I don't have to repeat it because everyone could hear you. Um, that actually goes straight into what I was just about to mention, which is this, this can sound, if again, if we're choosing to go with the more understood translations that I think are wrong of Tameh and Tahor, this, this goes, this, this makes us think that Tame is a time for a woman to be put aside. And as Joe just pointed out, that could be very dangerous. It could also be unhelpful, especially if you've just given birth. But I want us to think for just a second about potentially what beauty could come out of this. When we talk about Nida, this is one of the things that women who are trying to reclaim the mitzvah of nida talk a lot about. That when women, sorry, when men taught about the halakha of nida, the way of, does everybody know what nida is? I keep talking about, okay. Nida is a time in a, um, according to a woman's menstrual cycle, that as soon as she begins her period, she is no longer allowed to touch her husband um, sexually or otherwise, nor is she allowed to do other kinds of things like pass him food or make his bed because those are seen as sexualized. Um, many jokes have been made about whether or not, you know, that's just for, for a man to take on these tasks <laughs> for once in a while. Um, but, uh, but also the idea of nida is that of separation. And then a woman goes to the mikvah after a certain number of, of days following her period, and then she can um, resume 
romantic relationship and sexual activity with her, with her partner. So what I was about to say about Nida is that some people talk about this idea of Tuma as being a separation in a negative way. But it also could be something that's seen as positive. The mother is allowed to be with her baby, right? She's just not allowed to come close to anything else or touch anything else. So though, obviously, that would be hard and not helpful, right? There would not be other people around to potentially help her with the baby. Could it be that this was also a designated time for her to bond with a new life, with a new child? And that our Torah was trying to come up with ways to allow that spiritual connection to be one that could not quite literally be touched. Yeah, Len. Sorry, Rabbi Len. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Right. Sure, sure. <laughs> So Rabbi Len just mentioned that when he was working with a bat mitzvah student, before I even had my bat mitzvah, um, that that she mentioned that that this was a time for someone when going through a transition in life and potentially a uh, a moment of milestone, that time is needed to just have that separation, to figure out who you are, to be able to take time for yourself, not have the the noise, the crowds, the... Um, the, 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 the pushing of others onto you. It reminds me, having nothing to do with Tame and Tahor, it reminds me of what I typically say to a bride and groom right before a bride is veiled, uh, for the chuppah. And that is that, you know, we often talk about how it comes from Isaac and Rebecca and how Rebecca veiled herself when she saw Isaac and why is that, et cetera. And I always talk about how I think that Rebecca was so taken with him and she needed to remember that there were still parts of her that needed to be kept, right? That though in partnership, we have to remember that the person hopefully fell in love with their partner because of who they were, not because of who the partner might have changed to be to be with you. So when you veil yourself at a wedding or when your husband veils you at a wedding, there's this idea of keeping that which is yours, that which is your identity, that which makes you who you are close to you and reminding yourself of who you are without needing everybody else's interpretation around. So I want us to think about Tame and Tahor. We're going to go into um, a few more modern interpretations, but Rabbi Eddie Feinstein, believe it or not, and you can all... Uh, you can all tell Rabbis Kligfeld and Lucas that this was a bad hazing model. But my first sermon at Temple Beth Am, uh, formal sermon, I had taught a lot, but my first formal sermon at Temple Beth Am was for Parashat Tazria Mitzora, and which is just, you know, cruel and unusual punishment. But here I am, so I guess it went okay. And, uh, and I went to Rabbi Eddie Feinstein, who was my teacher at the time, and I asked him uh, to help me with this sermon that I was already writing about the, the words Tameh and Tahor. And what he said has resonated with me and has made me think of Tameh and Tahor differently ever since, and I hope that it'll help us as well get through these uh, next few commentaries here. He says that Tameh... I just wanted to make sure I got it right. The Tameh is ritually unprepared and that Tahor is ritually ready. 
Okay, he explains that a new and challenging way of understanding Tameh and Tahor is that instead of as opposites, think of the two words as different states of purity. Right? If we're going to use the word pure, just think of them as different states of a continuum of purity. People who are Tameh do not need to sacrifice because they're already in the state of holy wonderment. If you've performed uh, um, Tahara on a dead body, you were in a state of holy wonderment and connection that the person at home who doesn't know that the the Tahara is even happening has no connection to. So even though your state of, quote, purity has potentially changed because you've been in contact with a dead body, you are on a higher level of holy wonderment and spiritual connection than someone who has not. That's not a negative, that's a positive, at least for me. So when you think of Tahor, that's a person who has sat at home in their room, potentially doing wonderful things like reading Torah or taking care of their children, etc., etc. But they're not out in the world doing things that would potentially make them Tameh. What is one of the number one things that the, that the Torah talks about in terms of Tameh? Having sexual relationships with your partner to have children. If everybody stayed in a perpetual state of Tahor, there would be no humans. So you have to be in a state of Tameh to be able to live life, quite literally, to create life and live life. So Tameh is not unclean, it's just life lived. And Tahor is you needing to remind yourself that you need a connection to continue that living. So when there was a temple, you would go to the mikvah, you would then go to the temple, you would make a sacrifice, you would hopefully feel some kind of rush of spiritual engagement, and then you would go out in the world and you would become Tameh because you would do something that was wonderful for the world. And then the cycle would start all over again. So if I were to go back to the rabbis of the Talmud, really even of just Jewish law in general, or of whoever put together our Torah and say, you know, I think you just wrote it wrong. I don't think it really has anything to do with uncleanliness. It has to do with these are categories of people who are living life, who are aware of their bodies, who know what's going on. And then here's a category of people who need a reminder, who need to be able to have that connection to God a little bit more closely. Okay. Um, I gave you three different um, modern commentaries. Because of the time, we're only going to read one and a half, <laughs> maybe two, um, because then I want to also hear your thoughts on this before before we close. So I wanted to read Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg's here. She says, she agrees with me. We talked about, no, I'm just kidding. We didn't talk, but she, she agrees. Oh, hi, Mike. Good to see you. Unclean is the wrong word for tame. Agreed. It implies dirty or moral badness. A better translation for Tameh would be everyday state and for Tahara would be elevated state. Back in the day, most people were in an everyday state most of the time. The elevated state was what you needed to go to the temple in Jerusalem. Things that could make you, quote, everyday state or Tameh generally had to do with death or not life. Disease, contact with a dead body, missed baby-making opportunities. How you got from everyday to elevated depended on the thing. Sometimes time did the job. Sometimes ritual washing, like a mikvah, with contact with the dead, though, 
<clears throat> excuse me, there was a whole ritual with an unblemished red heifer involved. We are all Tameh now. We are all, which by the way, is a generalization. That's not necessarily true. If someone went to the, if someone went to the mikvah, you are not Tameh, but we, we assume that most people living in our world today are Tameh. We are all in the everyday state. Nobody's done the red heifer thing for a couple thousand years, and there's no temple to go to, so it doesn't matter. These are her words, by the way. I do think it matters, <laughs> but I don't think that it is the same kind of implication for Tameh and Tahor. I think it matters because I think it matters what state of spiritual closeness we are in. It just doesn't matter in terms of ritual observance what state we are in. Okay, so that's Rabbi Danya Ruttenberg. I want to read one more, and then I want to hear your thoughts. Abigail Pogrebin, who uh, many of you probably either heard or were at the class that um, I did with her also Cantor Chorney did a podcast, I think, um, did a class with her uh, before the high holidays last year. She talked about her book, uh, The Jewish Year, which everybody should read. It's really a, a fantastic book. Um, and she says about Tameh and Tahor, the directives are so particular, they're so specific, and that's what we are experiencing right now every day. This is how you wash your hands thoroughly. This is how to separate and sterilize your groceries. This is how long the virus lives on a box or on a cardboard. And also, this is a reminder, whether or not our ancestors knew what was coming, that in a certain way, it never dies. The idea of plagues, of pandemics, of infection, of someone being a leper or diseased, it's the minutia of the sterilization. In order to come back, here are the things you need to do. So she's connecting it, obviously, to COVID. But one of the things that I think is so interesting about her take, she's specifically talking about Sarat, so she's commenting on, on last week's Parsha. But what I think is so interesting about this idea of Tameh and Tahor and preparing yourself is that really if you are in a state of Tameh, you need not think as much about that preparation. But if you, if you have become Tahor, it might be that you're not doing enough to think about how to go back into the world. It might be that you're still staying home because you're scared, and potentially rightfully so, right? There's no judgment around that. But is it that you're staying home because it's comfortable or because it's not safe? Are you not going out back into the world to become Tameh again because you are worried for your safety or because you're just not sure what's going to happen? And so what she's saying here is that we, there are things that we need to do to come back, and there are things that we need to do to make ourselves Tameh again, which is a very different narrative than what the Torah says, which is how can we create ourselves Tahor again? So that's my, that's the end of my spiel here, though there's more that you can look at that I, um, that I gave to you. But I'm very curious to hear what people think about this new interpretation of Tameh and Tahor, and then we'll go into Mariv. Any thoughts? I saw lots of heads nodding, which is always good. Like, oh, people, people like this better than me telling them that Tame is unclean. <laughs> totally. So there are community. The question was, are there communities that that specifically still observe this? When it comes to nida, yes. 
Um, now, Nida is one of these things that, you know, your rabbi isn't going to ask you when you show up to shul, did you go to the mikvah after your period? It's still a very private thing. In fact, when you learn the laws of Nida, one of the first laws that you learn is that even your husband isn't allowed to tell you what to do for the laws of Nida. It's up to the woman. So the woman has to learn the laws. She's the one who who determines how, when, if she goes to the mikvah. It's not even the husband's job to be part of that. Um, obviously, in egalitarian homes, it very often is a partnership, and even potentially the man goes to goes to mikvah as well. Um, but it's not a rabbi's job to say, oh, you shouldn't be holding your husband's hand today. Didn't you have your period seven days ago? So there are communities for which it, it is important, but not. It, there still aren't communities that are using it as like a checklist item to, to participate. Yeah. Mm. Yep. Right. Right. Right, right. So what Joel just said was that there are also communities in which Nida is used as a way to keep women kind of away from ritual because they might be Nida, right? They might, they might be on their period or during that time where they haven't yet gone to the mikvah. And so it keeps women separate from those rituals that men uh, are allowed to have. When we were learning about this in school, one of the things that I forget which teacher, unfortunately, or I would quote them, but one of the things that our teacher said was, well, if we were going to be so worried about bodily function and who's going to be on the bima, then men should go to the mikveh every morning, right? Because there are there there is science around... <laughs> I feel like I'm teaching a sex ed class now. Um, there is science around, you know, males having seminal emissions in, in most evenings, um, whether in their control or, or out of their control. And therefore they should go to, um, they should go to the mikvah every morning. Now, th the rabbis of the Talmud got rid of that because it was too cumbersome on their schedules. So it, th that, that and the idea of nida seem to be pretty similar in terms of just bodily function and um, uh, and emission. But yes, as Joel's saying, one of the ways in which women were told they shouldn't be on the bima, they shouldn't touch the Torah, which by the way, a Torah cannot become tameh, so any woman can touch a Torah without any concern, um, that that it's because potentially she should she could be on her period and we wouldn't know and did she not go to the mikvah, et cetera, et cetera. And yes, that is unfortunately still happening in 2022. Yeah, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Tame as a resetting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 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 Hmm. It's interesting. I would almost think that Tahor would be the resetting, because um, Tame seems to be kind of the more mundane, the more um, um, like active part of life. So I would have to look into what they meant by resetting. I'm actually not sure that I would understand how to translate Tame as resetting, except for the fact that I guess it gets you back into life. And so maybe that is the resetting. Fran, do you have an idea? So maybe it's, <clears throat> it's a state, not a transition. Go ahead. <laughs> mm. 
Interesting. So Fran's saying that maybe it's a parallel to Kodesh and Chol, which is, um, for those of you who were at the Sunshine Wedding last week, I talked about uh, the idea of Kadosh meaning separation. So it's actually really interesting to talk about that, especially with this, right? That, that Kadosh, the, the idea of holiness actually means to separate. And so how do we make certain aspects of our lives holy because we've separated them out from the mundane, from the mundane pieces? Uh, fascinating. Thank you for that. Warren, I see your hand up. Yeah. Hi, can you hear me? Hi, I sure can. Okay, okay. just one, uh, couple, one interesting point is that in the Hasidic community, a lot of men go to the mikveh every day. Right. For the yeah. very reason that you mentioned. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and um, the other thing that I think is uh, something to consider is that what is a mikveh? A mikveh is a natural body of water. Mm-hmm. So like the ocean. So yeah. what we're saying is that going into a natural body of water is the thing that makes you uh, pure or, or, or you know, uh, tahor. So I think that's something to think about. Okay. The, fantastic. So this idea that that if you are Tameh and looking to be in a state of Tahor, that as Warren said, you go to a natural body of water, right? We're not asking you to go on a, a major hike and do a this and sacrifice a that, right? It's not something that's difficult. You actually go into something very natural to then reclaim that that state of Tahor, um, which I agree, Warren, is something to definitely think about and, and bring and bring into our consciousness around uh, around these states of uh, of living. So I I want to just there's no end to this. There's no way of saying that that there's uh, this is the nugget to learn from this, right? But I think that the thing to to recognize is that. We- that we should be proud to live in a state of Tameh. We should be proud to be people who want to be Tameh so that we can recognize the moments of Tahor and that we can figure out ways that in living life, even if it is putting us into a state of Tameh, that the act itself is one of creating Tahor, of creating Tehorah, of creating that purity. When we do... Tahara for a body, we become Tameh, but the body becomes Tahor. We are living to be able to do a mitzvah that is going to make someone else have holy uplift of their soul. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.